The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your servant, uh, Fred. We thank you for his ministry. Uh, and we pray that you would continue to uh, inspire him by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Bless him now uh, this hour as he talks to us, that the words that proceed of his mouth may be acceptable unto you, and that you would also uh, guide our thoughts uh, and be, uh, be our good shepherd. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much for coming this morning to hear me tell the, tell, uh, tell the tale of this particular pilgrim's journey to the Advent. Uh, I'd really like to thank Dean Limehouse for his very kind invitation to speak to you all in his class. Words simply can't express how blessed I am to lead the musical ministry here at the Advent and to inherit its marvelous music program built by Dr. Stephen Schaefer and his predecessors. I'm very grateful to all my new colleagues here at the cathedral, the clergy, and particularly those in the music department, the choir, the handbell choir, Charles Kennedy, Beulah Fowler, and Sharon Benefeld. I'm also incredibly appreciative of the wonderfully warm welcome I have received from so many of you. It's been a great pleasure to meet you, and sincerest apologies in advance for having some difficulty in remembering some names. And I, uh, I look forward to meeting many more of you in the future. Those of you who have come to know me a little bit may know already by now that I have a bit of difficulty talking about myself. But when the dean asked me to speak in the dean's class, it was a good opportunity for me to think hard about the path that led me to Birmingham. Through trips down memory lane, I got a little nostalgic, though they can be nostalgic, it can also be a very instructive process. And certain events in my life have served as an indication of how my musical journey has been guided and even shaped by my spiritual journey. My decision to become a professional musician can really only be described as a calling, a vocation. And this is not working, I'm sorry. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Let's try this. Here we are. Sorry about that. Vocation is a very complex word, generally defined in secular terms as an occupation to which a person feels specifically drawn. Personally, I can only understand the word in the Christian sense, in that it is a true calling from God. And I cannot accept any other explanation for the undeniable need that I have to do what I do. I embrace my own personal experience of hearing that call, and I remember when God divulged a glimpse of his plans to me as clearly as if it happened mere seconds ago. Retracing my musical steps has reminded me of the tremendous impact God has had on the journey to my vocation, and I would like to retrace those steps with you again this morning. Some of you may be surprised to learn that I'm actually not an Episcopalian, but in fact a Roman Catholic. It's hard not to be when you're 75% Italian. <laughs> My mother grew up in a small village called San Cosma Damiano, about halfway between Rome and Naples. Though never a trained musician, she was an avid music enthusiast, having sung as a volunteer in many a church choir, and a real 19th century Italian opera aficionado to boot. My Sicilian-slash-German-slash-Lithuanian-American father, on the other hand, <laughs> is a lifelong musician. 
Now, my father has always worn many hats, and his main profession was never music. He was always an accomplished semi-professional jazz pianist. And when I was very young, we attended a church that needed an organist. And my father, who was not really an organist at the time, would help out from time to time leading the congregation in song at the organ. To this day, Dad tells the story of how he would have me sit next to him on the organ bench and let me press the appropriate key on the organ to play three rings of a chime bell, and this would happen at the consecration during the Mass. I was so young when this happened that I, I don't actually remember it happening. But then again, my father tells all sorts of embarrassing stories about me from that age that I continue to claim absolutely no recollection of. Thank you. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. It's a pity. Um, Being raised in an Italian Catholic family made church central in my life from a very young age. I was always fascinated with church, the liturgy, the mystery of the Eucharist. I was even captivated by the visual aspects of church, as you can see here, the candles, the priest's vestments, even the beauty and the splendor of the church buildings themselves. Every time we went to a new place and I saw a church, I wanted to go in and explore it. There was even a point in my childhood where I wanted to become a Roman Catholic priest when I grew up. Though in the midst of the growing up process, the prospect of priesthood became decidedly less attractive. (laughs) The truth is, God was already calling me from a young age. I just had yet to figure it all out. Around the age of five, my father urged me to begin lessons with him, but I really wasn't interested, and my parents didn't push the issue. He did, however, make me learn how to read music, and I, from time to time, would dabble and tinker on the Hammond organ that we had at our house. I would hear a hymn in church and then go home and play it on our home organ by ear. Or I would hear a TV show theme and immediately go over to the organ and play it more or less successfully again by ear. And at the time, I didn't realize that this was not ordinary for a (laughs) five-year-old. Many years passed and I was 12 years old living in Connecticut when my father was yet again helping another church playing the organ for mass. And here we go again with the problems. Sorry. I don't know what's... There we go. I'll keep on that. Um, His return to organ playing sparked my initial, albeit casual, interest in music. I asked my father to teach me piano lessons, though I did not want to learn jazz, and I never have to this day. Of course, I'm still kicking myself because I would be a much better improviser if I did. My father then began, began to teach me casually. And in the meantime, we did get a new organist and director of music at our church by the name of Stephen Roberts, who happens to be a native of the South, Laurel, Mississippi. The first time I heard him play the organ, I could not believe what I was hearing. My father is an extremely talented musician, but you must remember that at the time, he was not a trained organist. I had never heard the organ played this way before, played properly. It was a sound I'd never experienced before, and singing hymns all of a sudden made sense to me. I felt uplifted and restored. In short, I was hooked. And with that, I experienced my first epiphany. From that day, I knew I wanted to be an organist. I, I was 12. I knew that I wanted to make people feel the same way that I had just felt. And from this pivotal experience, God had spoken to me. 
I knew he was speaking to me because it was one of the strongest impressions I have ever experienced, and I could not ignore it. He began to call me to my ministry, my vocation. Of course, there are no coincidences because this all took place on none other than the Feast of the Epiphany. With my father's permission, I immediately approached Steve, then Mr. Roberts, and asked him to take organ lessons. He agreed on the condition that I seriously study piano with him first. So I commenced musical study with this man, and after a period of only six months of some pretty crazy catch-up on the piano, I had attained a pretty sufficient digital proficiency on the organ after playing some Bach two-part inventions and Clementi sonatinas, and then I proceeded with organ lessons at the age of 13. I was never one of those kids that needed encouragement to practice. For me, it was far more compulsive. I needed to practice. Steve cleverly supplemented my lessons with incredible musical experiences. The first organ recital I ever attended was given by Thomas Murray, professor of organ at Yale University, on the incomparable 1928 E.M. Skinner organ of Woolsey Hall at Yale. This organ is truly one of the finest instruments in the entire world. And Thomas Murray is one of the greatest organists in the world. Little did I know at that recital that Tom would later in life become my mentor, a dear friend, and even the organist for my wedding. This is not the only example of things coming full circle in my life, as you will learn later. I say again, there are no coincidences. I continued to make very fast progress on the organ, and within my first year of study at the age of 14, I had won second place in a national organ competition for high school organists. A year later, I earned second place in another national competition of an even higher profile. I'm convinced that these second place prizes were God's way of telling me that I was well on my way while still keeping me humble. (laughs) But only a year later, respectively, I placed first in these same competitions. However, in the midst of my successes, I thwarted complete rejection from my classmates in high school who did not at all understand my calling and more often than not made fun of me for it. I even had one teacher who told me that I was wasting my mind. It is amazing how God throws these obstacles in our way, perhaps to show us how badly we want or need something, and as a result, we are kept on the right path. I should also say that this same teacher who doubted my future aspirations came to my junior recital in high school, and as a result of hearing through my performance how very serious I was about music, he revoked his aforementioned statement and wound up being a great support to me during my senior year and the college admissions process. While all of my classmates were still desperately trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their lives, I felt blessed to know that there was no question that I would go to music school if I were admitted And by God's good grace, in August of 1999, I embarked on the next chapter of my life and began my undergraduate studies at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, studying organ with David Higgs, who was and is one of the greatest organists and teachers in the entire nation. I was tremendously lucky and blessed to get this opportunity. During my time in Rochester, I played for an Episcopal church. Sorry. There we are by the name of St. Luke and St. Simon of Cyrene, affectionately named Two Saints. It was a merged church. The former St. Luke's was predominantly Caucasian and low church congregation, while St. Simon of Cyrene was predominantly African-Caribbean and African-American and very high church. 
My time there was my first foray into the world of Anglican sacred music, but because of its diverse congregation, I gained a lot of experience playing gospel and spirituals as well. My fondest memory of my time at this parish was Christmas Eve. The then rector was swinging a thurible of incense behind the altar, while at the same time singing at the top of her lungs, Go Tell It on the Mountain. (laughs) Upon completing my undergraduate studies at Eastman, I moved back home to Connecticut and began graduate study at the Yale School of Music and Institute of Sacred Music. During my first two years there, I served as Yale University Chapel organist, and my last year there, I was the assistant organist of Trinity Episcopal Church on the Green. Actually, bears a lot of resemblance in, in appearance to the former church I had worked at, as you can see. Trinity has a long-standing men and boys choir tradition, and they are firmly rooted in the English choral tradition itself. And prior to my appointment, they had just established a men and girls choir. In spite of my Roman Catholic upbringing, my time at Trinity anchored my sacred music interests and, I believe, my spirituality as well in the Anglican idiom. Something about the music of this tradition spoke to me, and I found it highly worshipful. Another discovery I made, and had been realizing for quite some time, is that nothing gave me greater satisfaction than playing the hymns of the church, especially with a congregation singing, far more than any solo organ piece. And that remains to this day. Before I go on, I need to tell you another story of things coming full circle in my life. I mentioned how my high school organ teacher, Stephen Roberts, would supplement my lessons with truly amazing musical experiences. One such experience early on in my studies with him was attending Evensong at St. Thomas Church Fifth Avenue in New York City, which is arguably the mecca for Anglicanism in this country, both musically and liturgically. There I heard the church's incomparable choir of men and boys sing Evensong on the second Sunday of Easter with Jerry Hancock, who's a veritable pillar of church music in this country. He was conducting the choir and improvising up a storm at the organ. It was thrilling, and unlike anything I had ever heard or seen in my life up until that point, it even topped my epiphany experience in some respects. The sound of the choir was exhilarating, and the pomp and the pageantry of the liturgy provided worship I had never experienced before. From that single visit to St. Thomas, I had dreamed of one day becoming the assistant organist there. I thought that attaining that goal would be the greatest thing one could ever achieve as an organist. Much later, during my first year at Yale, I attended Evensong at St. Thomas on the Feast of St. James of Jerusalem on a Thursday, October 23rd of 2003, with two friends from high school, I'm sorry, from graduate school. Remember this date. I'm going to refer back to it in just a little bit. It was during Jerry Hancock's last year there as organist and master of the choristers, and I wanted to hear the choir one more time before he retired. The anthem the choir sang was Ernest Bullock's Give Us the Wings of Faith. I was transported back to my first time there, remembering how badly I one day wanted to be a part of what went on at St. Thomas. I would like for us to just take a minute to listen to an excerpt from this beautiful little gem of the choral repertory.
And then the dream came true. After finishing my master's and master of musical arts degrees, I was appointed assistant organist at St. Thomas Church Fifth Avenue in 2006 for a term of two years. By then, Jerry Hancock had been retired for two years, and John Scott, formerly organist and director of music at St. Paul's Cathedral, London, actually just the choir you heard right now under his direction, was now at the helm on Fifth Avenue. It was not until after I arrived that going to St. Thomas was much more than a dream come true. In fact, it was a test, as my first year at St. Thomas was one of the most difficult of my entire life. In spite of the glorious worship and music, I had a very difficult time adjusting to the rigor of such a demanding music program. With six choral services a week, including Evensong nearly daily, and that all translates, by the way, to more than 400 choral pieces a year. I had trouble keeping up with the pace of learning so much music in such a short amount of time. I faltered often, and I began to psych myself out before every service, fearing the worst would happen. A few times I worked myself into such a state that I actually did play very poorly. Moreover, because of the intensity of my duties, I was really beginning to lose the worship experience in the midst of each service. I really started to doubt my vocation at this point. I began to lose faith in the very thing I had been more certain about anything else in my life. I was discouraged and disheartened. But gradually, after much prayer, I realized that this was yet another challenge put forth before me to keep me on the straight and narrow, as they say. I knew that if I could face this challenge, that I could probably withstand any obstacle. So I persevered, and it eventually paid off. The then associate organist left his position for a cathedral post in Buffalo, and John Scott approached me about applying for the higher-ranking position. After the year I had just had, I honestly wanted nothing to do with the job. <laughs> but at that point, I was really looking forward to completing my two-year post and then directing my energies toward finishing my doctorate. So I thanked John for the suggestion, but said that I just wasn't interested. He began to interview others for the position, and in the meantime, I assumed the position of both the assistant and associate organist, which was quite literally double the work I had just been doing. And I did that for an entire year, by the way. After a couple months had gone by, though, John approached me again and just flat out offered me the position. I was completely surprised, and he assured me that I was the right person for the job. It took me an entire month of prayer and discernment to realize that, in spite of active resistance to pursuing this post, this is what God clearly wanted me to do. In December 2007, I accepted the possession of associate organist at St. Thomas. The next nearly five years at St. Thomas would prove to be the most musically and spiritually rewarding years of my life. In my role at St. Thomas, I was primarily responsible for all service playing, and I was able to find the balance between doing my job well and maintaining a personal worship experience. The music the choir sang under John Scott's leadership was performed at the highest of standards, and I not only had a front row seat to it, but participated in its production daily. In addition to the daily services with all the gems of the choral repertory, I had a major role in performing some of the greatest musical masterpieces in existence. Bach's St. Matthew Passion and St. John's Passion, the B minor Mass, the Duraflay and Fauré Requiems, Handel's Messiah, and four CD recordings with the choir. I was also responsible for teaching the newest boys, the probationers as they're called 
and the fundamentals of their musical and vocal training so that they could one day gain admittance into the choir. And I found a new facet to my ministry in teaching these boys, the positive effect it had on them, and seeing them grow to become experienced choristers and young men. Here's another example of things coming full circle in my life, and I can feel myself getting emotional thinking about it. It's how profound it was. Do you recall the even song on the Feast of St. James of Jerusalem I mentioned earlier? Five years later, to the exact day, Thursday, October 23, 2008, John Scott was out of town, so the responsibility to conduct the choir fell on me. The anthem for the day was none other than Bullock's Give Us the Wings of Faith. Five years earlier, I was sitting in the congregation listening to this very choir sing this very piece. Never did I think as a person sitting in the pews that in five years' time, I would be standing in front of that very choir conducting the very same piece as dear Uncle Jerry, as we all affectionately called him once, did. To take it one step further, neither did I think that I'd be working with him in 2009 as a guest conductor of the choir, nor that I would play his funeral exactly one year ago in that very space. And I would be remiss in saying that if it weren't for my time at St. Thomas, I would have never met my wonderful wife, Leslie. My assistant at the time, Kevin Kwan, went to college with Leslie in Cleveland. And on a visit to New York to visit Kevin, Leslie met me over a lunch that Kevin innocently invited me along to. The rest, as they say, is history. As it turns out, I was actually able to complete my doctorate while being at St. Thomas, thanks to the church's generosity in granting me a short sabbatical leave. Being at St. Thomas also afforded me the opportunity to develop a recital career and play many recitals across the country. And I even toured with the St. Thomas Choir nationally and internationally. This past summer, we toured Germany and Denmark, and the highlight of the tour was singing for the renowned Bach Fest at St. Thomas Church in Leipzig, Germany. It's the very church where J.S. Bach was cantor and organist for the latter part of his life. And this year was particularly special because it was celebrating the 800th year of the Boy Choir School. Here you can see one of the most emotional musical moments of my life at the grave of the musical master himself. In many ways, this moment was the culmination of my musical path to that point, a musical program on a journey indeed. On my very first tour with the choir in 2008, we performed here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. In fact, some of you in this room may have been present for that concert. And looking back, it was another one of those moments where I never guessed that in five years' time, I'd be the director of music and organist of this very fine church. And that brings me to my journey here. In my last year at St. Thomas, I was itching to run a music program of my own and I'd begun the process of job searching. One of the prospects I was investigating was actually an academic post as head of an organ department. With full disclosure, I must tell you that in addition to church work, I was always uh, having a keen interest in academia, and I had envisioned myself one day teaching at a college or a university. After all, it's really the primary reason I got my doctorate. So I actually made it to the final round of this job search. And during the final interview, we were asked 
the question, what else will you do along with your job here? It's fairly common for organ professors to have a secondary occupation, and that's either one of two things, playing in the church or playing recitals everywhere, every weekend, and never being home. Knowing that there were no serious church positions available in the area of this job, I told the committee that I would likely play a lot of recitals and like a ton of bricks. Another major epiphany in my life hit me. If I were to follow through with this, I would not get to play a hymn in church regularly. I wouldn't get to work with a choir, and I wouldn't be continuing my current ministry. I realized in that moment that God was again speaking to me, and that I could not proceed with any future position unless working in a church ministry was involved in some capacity. In the end, I was not offered the position, and for the better, as it was not long after that that I learned of the opening here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. Some of you may have heard that my physical journey here was a bit trying. Hurricane Sandy almost succeeded in deterring me, though I was determined to get here and did arrive in one piece in time to rehearse the Cathedral Choir to perform on my first Sunday of All Saints, among other things, Ernest Bullock's Give Us the Wings of Faith. And as an aside, I should also mention that this anthem was the last thing I accompanied at St. Thomas. So as we've retraced my life steps together, these remarkable full circle life experiences that I've shared are indications that I believe I'm on the correct path. We all have a path, a journey laid out for each and every one of us. I'm thoroughly convinced by my faith in Jesus Christ that I am exactly where God wants me to be and grateful that it is here in Birmingham and not anywhere else. He has shown me innumerable signs of that. The road ahead is, of course, uncertain, as no one knows what tomorrow will bring. I do, however, look forward to a long ministry here at the Advent, God willing. And in the words of Samuel, I say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Soli Deo Gloria. Amen. I just want to say to any of you going to the 11 o'clock service, you're in for a real treat. Tell a little bit about what Leslie's doing right now. Leslie, and talk about divine providence. Um, when uh, Shortly after I accepted the post here, uh, I got a call from the director of music at St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in, in Mountain Brook, and he was in search of an associate organist. And Leslie, of course, was looking for a job. And for those of you who don't know, Leslie is also an organist. And we, we tell each other the reason we, the, the reason we maintain such a great marriage is because we don't talk shop. <laughs> um, but um, I, I was very grateful for his phone call, and he was very interested in hiring Leslie. So she accepted the position. So she's now the associate organist there, and she's having a great time. She really, really is. And um, she, she really um, loves her ministry there and she loves the mission of the church. It's a very good fit for her. Leslie is a Presbyterian, um, and so working in a liturgical church for her is a bit of a stretch, but it's, I think, a stretch that she's really enjoying. Fred, do you plan to do any teaching? Teaching uh, in, in general? Academic? If the opportunity presented itself, I would be very happy to, but I would in no way compromise 
my work or ministry here at all. It's at this stage of my life, I I would be. I mean, it, it's a. I think it's a responsibility of all musicians to pass on their knowledge and to guide others that are um, on their own paths. And I would be very blessed to be able to offer that opportunity to others. But again, this is as I've. It is so clear to me. It's my it's my calling, so I couldn't I couldn't do that without this. If that makes any sense, Fred, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability in sharing with us that year where you said you just hit a wall. And with your excellence and your incredible dedication, I can't imagine that ever happening to you. Um, but I know that it happens to each one of us. And I just think of St. Paul and. God saying to him in the midst of his own difficulty that God's power is made perfect in his weakness and in our weaknesses. And I see that with you, too, that his power is made perfect even in your weakness. So I wonder, was there just one moment during that very difficult year, I'm sure, where it was so clear that the wall was rapidly approaching? If you, you know, even if if you dare to tell us or, you know. Yeah, Um. Yeah, it was actually Easter morning of all times, and I, I, I truly hit the wall. And it was one of those moments that I thought I had just failed incredibly, and it was a lot worse looking at it from the inside than on the outside. And I actually um, wrote John an email saying that I had plans to resign. I mean, it, it had been that bad. Did you hit the send button? <laughs> I did, actually. I did. And we had a good coffee um, on Easter Monday, and um, we, actually no, it was Wednesday, because I had gone home to see my parents, and uh, he had convinced me, he said, you know, I know that you're having difficulty adjusting, and uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to make life any easier for you, but the reason that I hired you is because I know that you can do this, and I want you to meet this challenge, and rather than giving up, you need to pick yourself up, dust yourself up, off get back on the horse. And I did. And I'm so grateful that I did. Fred, I I don't have a question. I just had a comment right here. Um, And it really referenced what um, David said. The anthem that that you directed um, the choir to sing today uh, at the offertory Mm -hmm. was spectacular. Thank you. And I thank you and the choir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, tr- I feel that that's probably one of the most challenging things the choir sung to, po- to this point, and I'm thrilled with. Yeah, maybe, possibly. I'm, I'm thrilled that they were able to do it, and, and believe it or not, they, they've, they've only had two rehearsals on it because the music was so late getting here. I'd ordered it well over um, a month and a half, two months ago. It just took a long time to get here. So thank you. Fred, I've got um, kind of a non-advent, non-work-related question. Uh, When people move here from afar, a lot of times their first response is, gosh, it's not as flat as I thought it would be, like we were in the Mississippi Delta or something. I'd love to hear your perceptions and Leslie's of Birmingham in general, whether good, bad, or indifferent. We are loving Birmingham. We really are. Mm -hmm. Leslie actually has roots here. Her uh, paternal grandparents lived in Birmingham. They lived in um, uh, Cherokee Bend for uh, about 25 years and then both uh, moved to St. Martin's 
um, for assisted living, and they've they're both uh, they've both gone on now. But um, uh, we actually came for her grandfather's funeral to um, Mountain Brook Baptist in the chapel a year, uh, well, now a year and a half ago. Um, and um, I, I actually met Dr. Tim Banks there, who's um, for many years uh, uh, conducting professor at Stanford. And um, again, had no idea. But um, my initial impressions of Birmingham were, were um, I mean, I wasn't here long enough to see. And actually, before that, when I was here in 2008, um, I mean, I basically walked from the Sheraton to here, back, and then off to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and so we didn't really get to learn the city until um, my interviews here, and slowly and surely fell in love with it um, as we got to know the areas. And um, we live in Vestavia, actually, and we're really, really loving it there. And I, a lot of people have commented to me saying, oh, um, you live, it's kind of, Vestavia's kind of far, actually, because um, I know how, how close, closely knit Birmingham is. Um, but, I mean, for six years, I lived in the same building that I worked. I lived in the choir school at St. Thomas, and I, you know, got out of bed, showered, dressed, went to the elevator, and down to the gym for boys' rehearsal. That was my commute, so I'm grateful to be 15 minutes away. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And to speak to the, the hilliness, uh, Leslie and I are both cyclists, actually. Um, though I need to really get back on my bike. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, and we're also foodies as well, and um, it's such a great foodie town. So we're loving it. We're loving it. Outs- Well, we're on this very strict diet right now, so <laughs> the cooking's not that interesting. But, I mean, as, as you know, I was raised Italian. My mom is just, I mean, one of the most amazing cooks I know. And she is, uh, she's pretty much taught me everything I know, but not directly. It was all by observance. And then I kind of took it as a hobby of myself, particularly when I moved to New York, got exposed to so much great food, and then just started to, lean a little bit more in the French direction and um, more classical preparations of food. And it's a, it's a definite hobby for me. And, um, and uh, Leslie's the baker. I, the only thing I can bake, which is ironic, is a souffle, because apparently it's very difficult. But I can't bake a cake to save my life. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's all Leslie. She's, she's amazing. So, yeah. Fred, I just, yes. um, of course, everyone loves what you're doing. Uh, just curious, and you don't have to answer this. You know, I know there's the Birmingham Boys Choir here. Do you, you know, do you ever envision any synergies or your own choir or something where they, you bring in that St. Thomas touch into the Advent? I, I think that's a that's certainly a consideration for the future. Um, if if the parish wants to see something like that happen, I'd be happy happy to do that. Certainly, of course, but. Um, you know, it's a, um, there's, a, there's a lot going on already, um, and um, I think it's a question for down the road, certainly. Uh, yeah, but I do, I, do miss, I, I do miss my time with, with kids a little bit. It's different. It's definitely different. Um, but yeah. Is there anything different about our choice of hymns or our 
uh, church music uh, that you didn't know before you came down here to Birmingham? I think every parish is, is, is unto its own, really, in that respect. Um, one thing I'm very grateful for is that I, I don't think we've sung a bad hymn since I've been here. And that's all um, a credit, really, to the clergy. Because although I do pick the hymns, you know, they, if they're going to preach on something, they have prerogative to change them. And I, um, I've been pleased with everything. And I, I just, um, that's been a real blessing, really. Because I think there are so many great hymns, and there are some not so great uh, musical musical hymns, and there are some hymns that don't have an ounce of scripture in them too, and and that are just poorly written. Um, so it's a great thing that we we have that in our tradition, certainly. Yep, I appreciate uh, Steve asking that question because one of the things I want to tell the guys before we have to leave is what a pleasure Fred has been to work with, and and that's not always the case. I can tell you with clergy and musicians is oftentimes as I've seen from not only my experience but my, my colleagues too and working with musicians. Musicians can be headstrong. Uh, and, 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 yeah, see, that's the thing. And, uh, and clergy are notoriously the headstrong. But uh, in, in working, we, you know, on Tuesdays we have liturgy meetings when all the clergy are together there uh, with Fred and we discuss what's going on with the scriptures, where the preacher might be going. We talk about the hymns of the day. And uh, just what a privilege it has been to work with Fred. And his, his music is theology-driven. Let, let me assure you of that. Uh, Fred's faith is very much a part of who he is and what he does. But it's just been, I mean, I, I keep overusing the term team player, but I don't know how else to put it. Fred is a team player, uh, and he's just been a wonderful asset to us and uh, a friend to us. And it's, it's, it's been uh, uh, a real bright spot of my ministry here is when, when Fred has come. So it's, uh, we just love you and appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Healing is more than mutual. I think we probably need to go get vested and get ready to, to do that uh, anthem. Indeed, again. yeah, that's right. That's Let's right. go forth in the world. <laughs>